Welcome to You Wear It Well. Hi, I'm your host, Jeff Heiserman, physical therapist and founder and CEO of Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services. We're at the intersection of fashion and technology, otherwise known as wearables. We look at the people, products, and research that make up this exciting world of wearables. Are you a fashion designer, electrical engineer, or someone with the dream of designing a wearable? Apply for membership to my LinkedIn group page, Biotech Fashion, and join in the discussion. Are you a startup? Wearable company? Don't know where quite to go from here? Well, you have the questions, and Spectrum Ergonomics has the answers. Go to our company website at www.spectrumergonomics.com and click on the link wearables. There you'll find a wide variety of services and other contractors that we work with to help make your product become a reality. We're here to help you through the process of iteration to packaging and beyond. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to another session of You Wear It Well. And on today's podcast, I'm delighted to have a very special guest. And his name is Tomer Epstein. And um, I'm not going to say any more because I'm going to give the show over to Tomer because he's the very special guest. The, Tomer, the show is yours. Hey, Jeff. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It's very nice to be part of the podcast. Uh, so my name is Tomer Epstein. I'm the Director of Strategic Partnerships at Biobit. I've been at Biobit for about uh, two years now. Prior to that, I led the, the medical device and uh, healthcare sector at the Israel Expert Institute, which is a government organization uh, with the goal to accelerate Israeli companies in their global journey. Uh, so really assisting them with uh, fine-tuning their, 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 their global process. Um, BioBit, and just kind of like uh, briefly describing uh, the BioBit uh, platform solution and how the company started. Uh, so the company started in about uh, in the beginning of 2016 uh, by three talented entrepreneurs, Arik Ben Ishai, Yohanan Mai, and Israel Sarusi. Basically, they saw the need for medical-grade wearable devices even before wearables were thought of uh, being used in, in medical practice in, in the healthcare industry. Because as we know that the healthcare industry is more traditional takes that takes that takes more time to to get mature to new innovation to new technologies, uh, but they really saw that uh, kind of like becoming and fulfilling uh, the the need of, of wearables in healthcare and what the benefits might be. At that time in 2016, 
no no medical wearables were introduced to healthcare. So mainly uh, were in gaming or like uh, wellness, like the Apple Watch, but no real medical capabilities whatsoever were embedded. Okay, it's it's a good point that you brought up about um, the three founders. And it brings up a, a really good point, which I've mentioned on my show with, with founders I've had on my show, is that it's not an easy thing to do. You have a dream, but how do you get that dream into a, a regular product? And I think that it shows the persistence that founders have. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's a similar story here. And I think that goes for a lot of medical wearables, is that there's a, there's a dream, like, why don't we do this? The medical field does need a lot of help. I'll always admit that. And so the, the, the persistence that they had in being able to work with the government agency to help propel them along, because a lot of people have ideas, but where do you go with those ideas? How do you approach other companies to manufacture components for you? There's so much that goes into it, and just, just marketing. I mean, just some of the things that, that you work with the company to try to get them out there into what's the global market, because no longer is it any good to just, I'll take the regional market or I'll take my country's market. No, you need to be global. That's the, the way to, to really succeed. So share, share some of your experiences since you joined the company and some of the challenges that you face working for a medical wearable startup. Uh, of course, before jumping into that, I want to kind of also uh, kind of share emphasis about your, your point regarding the globalization. Uh, when we're talking about medical devices, especially coming out from Israel, which is a small, a relatively small country, our uh, first step, main point of kind of like starting to develop and thinking about the product uh, needs to be uh, globalized. So from day one, we're already thinking about which, which, uh, com which countries uh, will the device be good for. So we can look at the Israeli market as a better site or kind of like trying to figure out what, what kind of solution might be useful or work with, but eventually the, the bigger market is outside uh, outside of Israel. So that globalization is, is very difficult and of course very important to, is very important to think of. Uh, and an additional thing that I wanted to, to add is that most companies today in wearables, and this is kind of like to, to get the connection with the, with the challenges, uh, most companies today are using their the, or an over-the-counter sensors. So, of course, everything when you're talking about wearables and, and the capabilities of wearables, it all begins with the sensor. What, what are the capabilities of the sensor that is able to get that, uh, that information from the patient? And most companies today in wearables are using over-the-counter uh, over sensors, so pretty much wrap it up in kind of like a, a, a box, a nicely shaped, wristband for example but it limits their capabilities what BioB did is uh, they said that we're not going to use those over-the-counter sensors we have the capabilities we have the engineering we have the the knowledge of how to develop our own sensor and the superpower of of the biobit really begins with the sensor and we embedded this sensor in two uh, in, in two forms basically so one in a chest-based device a chest monitor, which is a disposable for up to five days, and a wrist monitor, uh, pretty much shaped like a watch, but it's a reusable, rechargeable device, so you could use it for uh, long-term use. 
And again, uh, what we did is we focused only on those medical grade vitals because you have a lot of medical um, wearable companies that are doing all over and they're doing also lifestyle, wellness, and that really kind of like narrows down and um, their area of, of expertise or even the field that they can work in because people today kind of like get the mix up between medical wearables and just wearables because there it's two different ways. If you want a, an Apple Watch to show your notification, to see your heart, heart rate or to train with some, some kind of a wellness device, this is okay. But if you want a medical grade device, this is a completely different, uh, uh, completely different route, completely different purposes. And we focused only on, on that medical grade level. So each of the devices that I mentioned, either the chest monitor or the wrist monitor, can monitor 12 different medical grade viral signs and also including blood pressure. So we're the first and only company today in the world that has uh, FDA clearance for blood pressure without the inflatable cuff. This is, this is uh, marvelous. And of course, if you add it, the heart rate, the respiratory rate, the blood saturation, the temperature, so we're pretty much getting a complete set of those unique vitals that are in need for the hospital use for, this, for the medical staff. So in addition to get those, uh, those uh, parameters uh, being able and compared to the gold standard, we're approaching the regulation that is needed globally. So FDA, CE in Europe, and other, uh, other regulatory, um, uh, regulatory authorities globally. That's a good point that you brought up about the, the sensitivity of the sensors. Because there's a big difference between picking up your heart rate with a wristwatch and picking up blood pressure with a wristwatch. Two totally different sensors, high degree of sensitivity necessary for the medical sensors. Excellent point. Because that's it's going to make a big difference when you do get onto the medical market, because that's what doctors are going to want. I want they want reliability, validity, and a high degree of sensitivity. Because when you got to make decisions on what you're going to do with the patient, you want the best data possible. You don't want well, it's pretty close. No, when it comes to somebody having a heart attack, you don't want something close. You want to be right on because you got to make decisions very quickly of what to do with that person. So that's a, that's an excellent point. And on that particular point, what were some of the challenges that the company faced in getting that high level of sensitivity in their sensors for the for the chest piece and also for the wrist piece? So, of course, when we're talking about introducing a new medical device or a new method, you know, to a traditionally a traditional industry such as the healthcare, so there's a lot of difficult tasks and requires several elements kind of like to be to be tackled. And, as, and one of the main ones that I mentioned is, is the regulation. So, um, of course, I'm putting aside at the moment, you know, the, the development challenges that every company faces because putting a, a product together uh, and ready to the market, this is a huge challenge that everybody has. But once we get that challenge and, and, um, and go over it, we have a lot of challenges that, that a lot of companies uh, just fail because they cannot uh, pass those uh, over those challenges. And one of them is regulation. And this is a tough hurdle to cross because uh, FDA is the, really the high standard of, uh, 
of regulatory approvals globally. So they look at the device and they don't care that it's one device that can track uh, multiple vital signs. They see each vital as a, as a unique by itself and as a device by itself. So we need to go at, um, at, and, and go over this path as vital by vital. And this is kind of like the process that we need to do uh, in order to um, in order to achieve those milestones by the FDA. And we succeeded in doing that and, and receiving those uh, vitals, which puts our device as the first in the market that has a complete set of vitals that are relevant for hospitals and to be used by medical practitioners. And second um, challenge that we are facing and, and, and have faced because it really is an ongoing challenge. Um, it, it is market validation. So every new medical device, new method requires validation by key opinion leaders, by physicians, by medical staff, by the nurses, uh, even technicians, even IT. So every level of, of the hospital uh, employees has some part of it. And in order to introduce those technologies and, and really become part of the practice, those healthcare employees need to love that, uh, love the device, need to know how to work with it. It needs to be intuitive to them and they need to see the value. And their approval is key to penetrate to the market and to succeed in, in the healthcare system and in even just an individual hospital. And one way to do that is by clinical publication. So basically those healthcare practitioners are only looking, you know, uh, on those clinical publications as part of the validation of the product. So uh, if they published in, in, um, in specific journals, if they, if they published in, you know, the, the notorious journals and uh, which, with, uh, which devices did they compare the products to in what settings? And we were able to, uh, throughout the, the, throughout the several, uh, the, the past years, uh, we were able to publish more than 10 clinical publications and we have more than 20 that are ongoing. So providing those publications really provides, you know, the, the stamp of, of approval to those clinicians. Because once they see the technology, they say, okay, this is a very good technology. We would like to have it. But what kind of validation do you have? Who, uh, where, where did you, where did you um, practice it before? And once we have that in place and show them, so that can help us narrow down some of the barriers, but it is still, you know, very traditional and, and very kind of like sensitive industry. And another uh, challenge that we, that we saw and are still facing is the ongoing usage and full implementation of the device. So of course, uh, doing a study uh, under an IRB, under a pilot, it, it's okay, but how, how, how do you able to increase that? Multiply it by dozens of patients into hundreds of patients, thousands of patients to be really in medical practice and the staff would know exactly what to do from A to Z of, of the dealing with the product. And every hospitals are afraid to take risks. They, they're afraid to be the first. They're afraid to commit. Uh, so getting there to the full implementations uh, requires a lot of work and is a challenge. So usually hospitals would, uh, would try and would want to start small. 
so starting with the pilot or starting with kind of like testing the device in different settings or extending it to more like a department or a unit or a specific use case and this is okay but we need to build those use cases up and have multiple per hospital so other hospitals as well would see and say that ah what do that hospital is doing i want to be part of that revolution because basically remote patient monitoring wearable devices in healthcare in the hospital and outside of the hospital it's just an it's just a matter of time until it will be in in, in full practice so those hospitals that are kind of like more um have the, the courage to do so and having putting their the resources to do that will be the first and the, their reputation will be the first as well of, of being the first hospital to do that from our end uh, another way to support that challenge is emphasizing on training and continuous support this is key to succeed because at, at the beginning because it's a new technology uh, after our organizations uh, the medical uh, the medical staff do need kind of like an hands-on approach until they will be able to feel comfortable of using the devices in practice by their own. Yeah, that's a good point because you, we as medical people, we'll read the journals. That looks really good. Is that something I would use? Do I still feel comfortable using that? And if I see a study with 40 people, eh, show me a study with a few hundred people. Yeah, that's starting to look pretty good. Another good point you brought up different settings in the medical field. You take a look at monitoring somebody's symptoms in a doctor's office versus an emergency room. Two totally different environments. And you're right. That's something that is your device going to be able to be tested in different environments so that it can stand up to those particular demands between the doctor's office and an emergency room. And I think that when you can start to jump over one hurdle at a time like you've done, I think you, you see that, yes, we have a lot going for us. Then the next part is how do you convince people that, okay, that's really good research. Uh, how much does it cost? How easy is it to use? How often do I have to charge it? Is it easy to clean? There are so many things to look at. So how tough was that part of the procedure? You, you guys know you've got a great sensors. You've developed them yourselves. You've got them integrated into wearables. How, how have you been convincing or working to convince the skeptics, the medical people that say, yeah, the research looks good. You've got clearance. Congratulations. But you know, how easy is it to use? How intuitive is it? Does, it, does a patient, what does a patient feel like wearing it? Do they feel like they're, they're you know, they're um, an animal? like a lab animal, you know, so how did you, how did the company work with those type of questions that you may have had or somebody may have posed to you in the medical field? Those are excellent points. And I believe that it's really kind of like uh, the beginning was a trial and error. So starting, uh, start, starting small with several pilots and getting those initial feedbacks by clinicians, by patients, and kind of like pivoting and adapting as, as we go. Uh, but thing, several things that we saw is really that training and support is key to succeed. Uh, so an hands-on approach is, is important. So even if we uh, accompany the staff at the first days of, of, of to put the sensors on, on or how to uh, how the work, how that workflow kind of like integrates with their workflow, 
uh, because this is important that their kind of like unique and uh, standard workflow will remain. So they don't want to do anything that will change that. Uh, so how to add those uh, new technologies that will be assistance to, to, to their own. And what we saw is that uh, basically uh, we can minimize the time of, of the training for less than 60 minutes. So it's really a short training. And the end of that 60 minutes, and we worked a lot of fine-tuning the training and what is needed to, to be added to the system and what is not. And uh, less than 60 minutes, we can uh, give a full training on, on, the, on the devices, on the platform, and the staff could pretty much go by themselves after that 60 minutes. Also, the implementation of the devices uh, of all of the settings, it's less than a day of digitalizing an entire department. So doing those processes in a very seamless way, a very easy way that would not affect really the, the process, the workflow of the staff, this is important. And additional key aspects that, that, we, that we can show quite immediately to the staff is, is both the staff satisfaction of using a new device and what uh, does it help to assist them in, in their work, basically. And we saw that um, about 60 to 90 minutes a day, we can save the time of just taking the data manually from the patients. So manually ac active going to each of the patient's room, collecting the data, you, we can save a lot of time. And in today's time where they, after COVID, where we have lack um, of staff, medical staff, uh, lack of nurses, and they, the staff that are remaining in their positions really suffer from a high burden. So if we can take some of their time and navigate it to other tasks or even just some more breaks throughout the day, just to grab a coffee, uh, just relax, because it is really a tough um, a tough shift that they experience a daily. So this is huge in terms of in terms of the staff uh, that we're able to to reduce, and the data will be transmitted in a seamless way, in a digital way, um, automatically and continuously. So in addition to kind of like changing the the new the old way of taking vitals in a manual way, which is about three times a shift, uh, three times a shift. Now you can take it continuously, so you can have much more data. Much more data means much more information, much more analytics, and understanding more patterns of the patient. So this is one aspect. Another aspect is um, reducing bad occupancy, bad occupancy of, of hospitals. So today, hospitals are usually working by protocols, uh, understanding what, what the, the patient kind of admitted to and how many days he needs to stay. But if you have a tool that can show you the patient's information, the patient's vital signs in a continuous way, and you can see those changes over time, and if there is no need to basically uh, keep the patients in, so why don't discharge him? And we are also seeing that we can uh, shorten a day or two uh, of that hospitalization days. So less day at the hospitals, less work for the staff, or more patients that could be admitted to the hospital. And, and, and another aspect is hospital at home. So providing, you know, care instead of the hospital, but at the patient's home where they relax, the family members are there, they're sleeping in their own bed, and they're getting the same equivalence of care at their, at their own home. This is also one of the transitions that healthcare is going to. 
And this is a transition that could go to that direction only once you have the technology to support it because nobody will take the risk, nobody will take the chance. But if you have a remote patient monitoring tool, a sensor, a wearable, that has the same equivalent of, of, uh, of capabilities that the, that the large capital equipment that you have in the hospital has, so this is a huge uh, game changer that you could provide that care to the patient's own with the same level of standard of care. Another aspect is the patient satisfaction, which is also the patient's confidence. Uh, you mentioned that uh, when they feel like that they're being monitored, they're being watched, that feeling like an animal, but it, uh, we see that it's the other way around. A patient wears uh, being placed with a device on his chest, and he feels that it, it, it's kind of like an insurance or confidence that, that they receive, uh, meaning that someone is watching over them at any given time. This is the, this is the kind of like the feeling that the patient has. Of course, in, in real world settings, nobody's really watching at the data every single time, but we do have that, that notification, uh, kind of like a system, meaning that if there is a deterioration, so the patient, uh, the staff would see that. But there's no need really to look at the patients at all time, at the patient's information at any given time, but this is what the, the patient feels like. Uh, so it provides a really good confidence that uh, is, is, is getting the best care possible. That's an excellent point because some people do feel that insecurity. I'm not in the hospital anymore. The nurses aren't checking up on me. There's not a doctor around. I'm scared to go home. Um, I may go to a nursing home for some short-term care, and then I'm going to go home. And you might be an elderly woman, and now all of a sudden your, your elderly husband becomes your caretaker. And maybe the husband doesn't even know how to boil water, you know. So, and, and, and she's, she's worried about oh, who's going to fix meals and how's he going to help me get dressed. And so if there's one less thing to worry about, especially the, uh, the biometrics that we have, the heart rate, blood pressure, temperature, those things, that could be very, very calming. And I think that that's an excellent point. And another thing we can start to take a look at too, as, as the uh, internet becomes more, widely available in more rural areas, this could also be a great way for somebody that might not necessarily be able to get into the hospital on a regular basis or to a doctor's office on a regular basis, but they could still be monitored and, and, and de determine, oh, we need a nurse now to come out. So that nurse would say, I'm coming out tomorrow. I'll check up on you. It might be a 45-minute drive or an hour drive or two-hour drive. It could be, you know, depending on how remote the location is, you know, if you have the internet connection, so to speak, where the Bluetooth frequencies, you know, can get to the doctor's laptop or the nurse's laptop I or the phone, you know, the, for that matter. So I think that's a, another aspect to look at depending on, you know, what country you're in, where you live in that particular country. So I think, you know, th those are really good points that you make too about patient comfort, especially if you've got a heart problem, you don't want to be stressed. Uh, it's very important to keep yourself as calm as you can. So knowing that, the perception, like you said, of being watched, I think is that's an excellent point. Well, now the last question that I ask all my very special guests, where do you see this particular field of wearables that you're in right now in five years? Um, I, I believe that um, the first steps will be to increase awareness because if we're looking at the previous five years, it's, it's really kind of like build the, that uh, market that industry 
that field from scratch. But now that uh, that awareness kind of like reached some kind of uh, an initial level, so uh, uh, increasing that awareness, uh, this is something that will is sure to be happen. And I do believe that it will grow uh, grow exponentially each year, and we will experience each year for the next five years that there is more and more usage implementation spread into the sub segments of of that kind of like medical wearables. Uh, we, are, we, I believe, only touching the surface of it because uh, the potential of using a wearable devices in, in healthcare practice in the industry is, is enormous. So we have a lot of possibilities that, we're, that we are able to implement that technologies and, and to really change the, the, the healthcare industry that we see it as, as, as of now. Of course, for the best, without compromising on, on the standard of care, without changing, uh, replacing physicians, because uh, there is some kind of a concern today that uh, technology will, will change some of those uh, key personnel in the healthcare, but it's not it. They, they will be an additional tool for them. They will become a superpower for the clinicians, for the, for the nurse staff, that they will gather more data, that they will uh, see the bigger picture in an easy way. So I do believe that in the next five years or in the coming five years, um, monitoring patients in and out of the hospital uh, will be kind of like the standout and it will be done by remote patient monitoring. And this, of course, will support early, uh, early efficient discharge, better care, able to identify those patients that are at risk in a continuous way and reducing the burden of the staff. Adding those... Um, wearable devices on multiple patients uh, enable us to, to obtain a lot of data. So getting that big data from a, a lot of patients and uh, adding on top of it analytics, decision support tools, uh, this will help us to detect different abnormalities and to support early interventions and in different healthcare settings. So for hypertension patients, for chronic health, um, uh, chronic heart failure, COPD, uh, all of those unique kind of like type of patients with unique set of vitals that are being changed over time, we will be able to look at and identify those patterns and intervene uh, once needed. And, and, and this is in the healthcare space uh, for hospitals and hospital at home. But we have also another segment of, um, of pharma, clinical trials, so uh, decentralized clinical trials, this is something that is uh, uh, generating momentum today. Uh, so instead of bringing the patients into a facility, do everything that you can remotely at, at, at his own home. This reduced a lot of the cost burden and the stuff that is required. And of course, for the, for the convenience of the patient. So for us as well, adding a wearable device to, to, a, to a pharmaceutical clinical study uh, reduce a lot of the costs, increase the efficiency, and pretty much a, enables them to generate more data on the patients and the combination with the virals and, and uh, medications and to shorten the, the, the time needed for the trial. And this is another aspect. And another one that we are seeing that will generate more and more is the consumer-oriented patients. So even even uh, patients that are uh, not a patient yet, which are healthy uh, consumers that just want to track their vitals. Uh, this is something that is also very kind of like important and will be 
part of it. So today we're monitoring our daily, our daily kind of like lifestyle, um, li- lifestyle kind of like patterns, uh, but we will now soon to monitor our uh, medical uh, kind of like um, the, the day-to-day changes. Uh, and we also, uh, at Biobit, we launched an ABPM, which is an ambulatory blood pressure monitoring uh, exam, which it's also for consumers and for clinics. So basically, a consumer could buy it from our website, do the test, and understand where he is compared to the population in terms of hypertension. If he suffers now from hypertension, if so, at what level, or is pre-hypertension or is normal. Um, so this is kind of like will help him to navigate his care and either to the, the need to go to a clinicians or not. Uh, that will uh, help us to have better uh, navigations of health choices. So diet, exercise, uh, lifestyle. Uh, this is definitely important and probably will be part of our day-to-day lives. And another angle is the, the, the shift towards a more uh, preventive care approach. Uh, in opposed to proactive care. Because uh, today we are seeing that um, the, the majority of patients are already coming to the hospitals, going to see the physicians only once there is something bad with their, with their, with their health or with their feeling. But we would need to kind of like think about a new way of uh, intervention much sooner. And we can do that only once technology is involved. So patients are being self-monitoring, taking a, uh, Taking uh, taking uh, their health in their hands and and becoming more actively engaged with their treatment and this is something that will probably kind of be the next uh, phase of of healthcare where we're not really just relying on the, the clinicians to guide us but we as a, we as patients we as consumers of healthcare will take the power to our own hands and will want to be engaged with those new technologies would want to add wearables to our lives to add more apps uh, that will help us uh, support uh, our lifestyle for healthy choices and to become healthier and much more uh, engaged uh, with 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 that as well excellent point Um, i think that's really you know the goal we've been looking at in the healthcare field was not just i'm always going to be helping you but what can we do to educate our patients so they can take better care of themselves I always joke with my patients that I always love seeing you come through the door, but I'd rather see you at the grocery store or out of the or out of the, the shopping mall because I know you're not in trouble. You know, we're like lifeguards. Oh, I'm having trouble with my health. I better go see Jeff or I better go see Dr. Jones. So yes, we're here to help, but we would much rather see you out enjoying your life. And I think that last point that you brought up about people taking control of their health at that point. We, we give them some information, they take control of that, and then move forward and to a better, healthier lifestyle. Well, Tomer, I want to thank you again for taking time out of your busy day to be on the podcast. And just to let the listeners know that if you look at the liner notes, we're certainly going to have the website for BioBeat so that you can find out more about it. And, um, you know, obviously you can contact them if you have any questions through that uh, website as well. And um, I just think it's a fantastic, I call it innovation, to have so many parameters that can be so precisely monitored is truly revolutionary. And again, congratulations on your FDA clearance. And hopefully, 
just more success in, in the future as well. So again, take care and pass along my best to the, the rest of the, the team there at BioBeat. I think you as a company are really, really trailblazing with what you have. And I'm, I'm really honored to have you on the show because it truly is a, a revolutionary product that you have and it's going to help millions of people. I can, I can see, I know that it, it will help and you have that vision. So I think that's fantastic. So again, have a good rest of your day and the next intervention that uh, you folks come out with, please drop me an email and we'll get you back on the show again. Of course. Thank you very much, Jeff. Have a great day. Okay. Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services provides a broad array of design and engineering professionals for your wearable project. We feature the following design specialties, pattern making, digital textile, athletic wear, sensor, fashion, exoskeleton, robotics, and mechatronics. We also offer beta testing of your wearable in our private clinic. You choose the demographics and sample size, send us the sample, and we take care of the rest. For more information, go to www.spectrumergonomics.com for more information. Hey, if you're a startup wearable company and you'd like to be able to get your information on this podcast, please contact me at my company website www.spectrumergonomics.com. I'd love to be able to feature a little bit about what you're doing to let the world know about your wearable. Well, thanks for joining me at the intersection of fashion and technology. And may you wear it well. <laughs>